Hi, good evening, and welcome back to the Alexa Mo I Am A PT podcast. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And tonight, our guest will be Dr. Rich Severin. We want to say thank you to all those who have subscribed to our YouTube channel, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you have yet to do so, take the time now to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and also TikTok. And Alex is wearing a cowboy set in preparation for Rich. And it's football season. I'm getting ready to. It's the best time of the year. It's the time my wife hates because I'm gone every weekend watching football. Every weekend? Thursdays watching Mondays, football? Oh, you don't watch it at home? You don't watch it at home? No, 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 I watch it at home, but she knows that uh, Do Not Disturb is pretty much on all day. <laughs> so, um, uh, I guess Lauren has to find a show or something that she can have the Do Not Disturb as well, too. To make yeah, it fair. You know, I, I try to, I try to, um, you know, we try to coordinate some uh, mom night out. So she goes out with some of her girlfriends. Uh, you know, go out and go have some dinner and drinks and, and stuff like that. So we definitely try to balance it out. Um, you know, she's home with the kids all day, every day. Uh, so that that's quite a, a challenge. I mean, I, I do it for a couple hours, and I'm, I'm looking for my help. I'm like, who's tagging? Who's in? Who's coming in? Who's coming in? Um, so, yeah, no, it's uh, it's fun. But, you know, football for us, it becomes a, a family affair on weekends, and I like to cook and, and grill and, and smoke stuff, and she'll, you know, look up appetizers and stuff like that. So it ends up being a you know, fun time of the year between family and food and football. So what are you expecting you guys to be doing this season? Man, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. I, I expect good things and then horrible things happen. I expect horrible things and good things happen, but they only it's good enough to dangle in front of you and then they just break your heart. So every year I've kind of gotten less and less attached, I would say. I'm still very interested and there's the man of the hour welcome <laughs> welcome yeah sorry about that guys it's been a little bit of a crazy hour or so so yeah no worries no worries thank you it, for taking the time you your time and as as you can see rich right look at the hat he's wearing so he's coming for war tonight it's all right that's <laughs> <laughs> no, all right so he was but, just talking um, about um, the upcoming season, what he's expecting from the Cowgirls. And yeah. we know that you are an Eagles fan. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, don't, talk, I don't need to say any more about the Cowboys than, you know, the, the, the last few seasons, as, you know, said already. And, you know, so. At bare minimum, we're winning the NFC East. There is no <laughs> argument about that. So, oh, man, yeah, I think you're. It's probably so, one of the weakest conferences in, in the NFL. So I mean, I mean, you're, you're not winning. That, you might you might be lucky to get a wild card bit. I mean, like oh, you guys aren't going. Listen, you're about to make a here. bet on our show because we're gonna have to revisit this at the end of the season because I, I, I I'm, I'm just sitting back waiting to to hear what I this have is no doubt that we are winning the <laughs> NFC East. That that is for certain. I mean, you can you can say that. 
doesn't mean it's going to happen, but well, I, you're certainly entitled to have have those beliefs. But you know, by the end of the show, we'll have to come up with a friendly wager. Um, you know, because you, you guys have been saying it's been it's been year a year since 1995. So but that was the last yeah. time they won the Super Bowl. What's happening? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> See, look, they get one. It took them how long to win one? You, you, you just let you know there was a lead before there was, you know, the Super Bowl era. Just to let you know, um, <laughs> you, you guys, you guys, you guys have to go back in the archives and the annals of, of the history to, to stay relevant. Um, yet, what other people do, it's you know, it's that's that's a bridge too far. I find that interesting. Yeah, you know. yeah see, that interesting. And, and this is the best part about football. It's just the trash talk, all the trash talking that comes with it. You know, well, and, and I was. I mean, trash talk is just talking about the Cowboys, right? I mean, it's trash. Oh, Lord. We're talking about. You see what right? happens? So. They get a little Carson. Nick Foles had to resurrect them, and now they're walking around like they own the thing. Then I they, mean, they I, I, quarterback. I'd rather be resurrected than the Walking Dead. Like you're, you know, you're. Hey, like you're, uh, you're, uh, you're uh, this, that, this, that Johnny this, Parker Blue. This, that Johnny this Parker Blue is, is what keeps him going. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, let, let, let's get to what the people really want to hear and not this uh, football nonsense between me and Rich. Um, oh, so, Rich, um, I think I first encountered when you were a student at University of Miami, right? Yes. Um, so. And that was a few years back, probably, what, seven? Ooh, no, almost 10 years. I mean, I was yes. uh, graduated oh. in 2013. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and as we did in our introduction, letting people know that, you know, you've been a rising star in the physical therapy sphere. And, you know, we, we have been watching your growth and we are proud of it. And I know you mentioned something on social media the other day that we need to tell more people how proud we are of their accomplishments. Yeah. And I am especially proud knowing your, your background. Uh, we're going to get into with, that. With, uh, with my literal background? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a Dominican flag right there. So, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, but knowing that there is some uh, Caribbean pride in it, I, 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 I just want to say that I'm, I'm truly proud of the work that, you know, you've been having over the past uh, 10 to 12 years. So no, I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I, I always view... You know, I, I got I got chided for this from, from some people. I won't name names. It's not on this podcast. Um, I don't think anyone would even know who they are. But uh, about like sharing some of the stuff I've done, and I was like, I I know where I came from. I knew what you know necessarily. You know, odds were leveraged against me. Um, you know, growing up in West Philadelphia, father is an immigrant. You know, mom um, was, you had to kind of stay home and raise kids, and it was it wasn't the easiest thing for was four of us. So um and uh yeah we didn't have a ton of money so whenever i like you know do something you know and it's it's i always use i mean i it's grown now because i've done different things and met different people within the profession about who i share stuff with but it's more to share it with them to bring honor to my family and, and those who came before me and, and paved the way so i i strongly believe in sharing joy right you know it's a big thing and if some people were took i guess you know i don't know if they took exception to it you know i don't know it's not a, it's not about like you know it's not about me per se but uh it's you know what's been kind of cool is is to see people 
that I don't even know um, that come up to me, you know, conferences sometimes now and um, or get these these messages from from students or other PTs, even practicing. I, I got some today from some people I, I, you know, I kind of look up to um, and they're like, hey, like, you know what you the message you put out there and what you've been doing is just inspiring and, and motivating. That's a really humbling thing to hear. And I, you know, I think, but I think sharing those messages, sharing what we've done, inspiring others and, and saying, hey, like, I'm proud of what you've, you know, for you doing those things is, is big because that inspires the next people. You know, I, I put something out today. It's like, you know, uh, you know, go out of your way to make someone's day. You know, the more positive, it, more you build up other people, it builds up everybody, right? So that's how I look at it. You know, it's just, you know, there's enough for, there's enough enough victory, right, for everyone to to be victorious, right? So we don't, you know, it's not a there's there's, <laughs> there's an abundance of it, right? You don't, you know, just so for one someone for one person being happy about something is doesn't take away from other people. So, you know, some people don't do it that way, I guess, but you know, for me, I don't know. That's just how I view things, but. No, absolutely. And that's kind of the motto here on our show is, you know, we've always said that there's enough to go around, right? Like we need to, we need to lift each other up. We need to hold each other accountable, but, but we got to pull as many as we can, you know, as we, each one of us goes up, we, we, we come back, help the ones right behind us, help them get above it. And then we just kind of keep working at it that way. So I, I feel like that mentality is, is the right mentality. And, and it's going to be the mentality that's going to help, uh, obviously you as an individual, as a professional, and then growing into as a profession, you know, it, it, for anybody that's, that's listened to any of our shows here recently, I've always said, you know, we, as a profession, we sit at the kitty table. Um, mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the reasons why I feel that we sit at the kitty table is because we don't have this attitude of working together and bringing each other up. I feel like some. Or another way to view it, you know, sometimes we're at the kitty table maybe because we act like kids, right? Kids get jealous, kids get envious, right? You know, I think that's, a, I mean, I, I like that analogy, kitty kitty table, but I, I go one, one step further because, you know, you guys have been now involved with within the profession and, some of the things I think hold us back is that is, is that kind of behavior, right? Like just childish stuff. Like, what are we doing here? Right? Like we're, we're, we're professionals, let's be professionals. And I don't know, like you guys can probably test to this. And just from when I, you know, like when I was growing up and you know, you hear the term professional, it's like, okay, I'm expecting a certain type of behavior interactions with other people. And sometimes it's just, it's just not that. And I'm just like, what are we doing here? Like, what are we, like, what, what are we doing here? This isn't sixth grade, drama like what, what are we doing here like we're there's people are 30 years old 35 years old 45 years old with kids a mortgage acting like 12 year olds like what are we doing here so i don't know i'm, I'm yeah. probably a little no, too much, no 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 absolutely but but again going back to your original point is like you know share the good stuff man we we don't hear enough about the good stuff yeah. we, the negative gets amplified you know 10 15 times but the good stuff that people are doing the hard work that they're putting in, you know, the ad- adversities that they've had to face and overcome, right? Because a lot of times, you know, there's people, students out there now watching, they're like, oh man, Rich Rich went through that as well, or he's going through that. Like, I can, I can lean on him, you know, I can reach out to him, he can help me, you know, I've, and I can't remember who said this, but I, I like I heard somewhere that's like, the people that 
that struggle are the ones that don't ask. If you don't ask for help, if you're afraid for help, if you're afraid to hear no, if you're afraid to hear negative things, like you're always going to, you're going to hold yourself back. But if we don't share these experiences that we've had to help us get to where we are, then we can't help the others because they may be struggling in silence or not knowing which way to go. Um, and just hearing different stories, hearing Mo's story, hearing your story, hearing my story, you know, we're giving hope. And that's all we can try to do is give hope to those coming behind us and those leading like yourself to take this profession to another. Because, you know, Mo and I have talked like this isn't, hopefully, this is just a step for us, not the end for us. You know, like yeah. I love what I do. I want to do this for the rest of my life. Um, I want to be able to use this and kind of branch out and kind of expand and grow while still this being a part of who I am as a professional, but to be able to grow from it. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. But, and I'm glad you bring up this up because, you know, I, I, I struggle with this because now you know, I oversee two of the largest platforms or, or forums for, for PTs to share and collaborate, you know, information and, and stuff and just requests for help and stuff. And, it's kind of cool to see, you know, because um, I've been in there since the very beginning, both of these groups, um, excuse me, but there's so much, too too many hot takes, right? Too much just like saying stuff for, and, and the, the, the funny thing is, I, I, I don't think people realize this or know this, I teach strategic content marketing. Like I, I know all the tactics. I know all the, so I, I see it a mile away and these, all these tactics are used over and over and over and over and over again. And like, it works. But what I often teach my students is like, Hey, you can use these skills for good, right? Or you can use these skills for self-serving interest. And, you know, I, I wish there were less hot takes for, for self-fulfilling purposes, right? And more for, you know, selfless serving purposes, right? And uh, I don't know if there's a, there's a, there's a, a buzzword or an alternative from hot takes, but I want because a cold takes not a good one, but maybe like a hot take for help, right? To doing things that are like, you know, not just for the sake of controversy to gain clout and views and stuff like that, but saying stuff that's going to resonate with people and, and build everybody up versus just trying to do stuff to get page views and to make money. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of just like, in, in my opinion, just, clout chasing behavior that doesn't serve anybody. And I, 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 you know, I, I'm vehemently against it, you know, from my, in my own personal social media and professional social media. But I, I think, and maybe we're not unique in, in, in PT. I mean, maybe it's just cause I'm, this is the profession I'm in, but you know, I don't, I don't tend to see this in my, my, my scientist friends, the physiologist and uh, it's just, yeah, I, I, I wish there was less of that stuff and more of just like honest, like, you know, maybe it's again like a, a you know a lightning rod statement. Like so some of the stuff I've shared in, in the group there about like, um, you know, being you know saying, you know, being kind or telling people you're proud of them, because that stuff is engaging. Like that, you know, if you look at some of the you know, I don't know the, the most popular posts I've just from my own perspective that I've ever had. It's it's that. So there's there's a way to as a winning strategy of doing that sort of thing, and and that's in some some respects what I try to 
subtly like message to students by not overtly saying do this stuff i guess i'm doing it now but showing that there's there's another way of gaining status and it doesn't involve these kind of bogus tactics in, in my view i mean they're i don't know i maybe i'm being i don't know i don't know i i, I no, you, you, you're spot on you're yeah. spot on because in in the world of like darkness and gloom and stuff like people are in search of some ray of light and if there's one person a couple people that could give them that glimmer of hope they will be attracted to it yeah. um and you know, much they're attracted to light, so just keep being a light. Um, you are a big heart guy. What Quite is months, the months. of driving your passion in the profession? Ooh, man, um, I don't know. I just I like what I do. You know, I, I you know, I, I, was, I was talking to my mom about this not so long ago, but you know, I'm I'm really happy that I found PT. You know, as a as a profession, and almost. I was didn't. I, you know, like, things could have gone a lot differently um, in my college career, depending on what explain, my interests explain, explain that. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't know what a PT was um, until I was a junior in college, you know. Um, and that speaks to a lot of other things about our profession and where we're represented. You know, there wasn't really a PT clinic in Overbrook in West Philadelphia where I lived. So, uh, or maybe I, I think there might have been like a chiropractic clinic, but like a sketchy one that like no one really knew about. I don't know. It was like we, we used to walk by it as kids. This, this building is like this like office and I was like there's no windows so I wasn't really sure like what they did I don't know I don't know but either way like I never saw a PT I played sports through college and uh my my brother was an athlete my family members were you know athletes too and stuff but like um but at least within our immediate family uh we never saw one I had, I had injuries too I had, like I was a wrestler a hockey player you had a had a back injury a very a minor one but i'm a pediatrician you know give me some tylenol i was like all right just like you know give it a rest for two weeks but but anyway um so i went to went to undergrad as a bio major when i go to medical school that's all i really knew i mean i knew about pharmacists because you know my dad and you know and my and my grandfather my uncles and, and dominica um were pharmacists my dad it was when he came over the plan was always for him to go to pharmacy that's a whole separate not everyone, actually, I don't want everyone to know that that story because that, that <laughs> reveal a lot of personal information about my family that could be used to steal my identity. So I won't share all that. Oh, so, okay. uh, but anyway, um, yeah. So that's, that's all I really knew, and um, I knew about athletic trainers. We had an athletic trainer for you know our sports teams. But um, while I was uh, you know starting out in bio, and I, I don't want to be really working with fruit flies or like doing the cereal planting and stuff that I did with my aunt as a, as a graduate assistant work study in our lab, which is an awesome experience. But I'm like, this is just not like the biology that I want to do. I want to work with humans. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, I learned about kinesiology or an athletic training as a major. And I was like, okay, I guess I could do that. And I'll get to work with athletes. I'm going to be an ortho sports med guy. And uh, again, that's all I really knew. I didn't know about really other specialties of medicine. And, um, you know, to that extent, and I love sports, love movement. And while I was, you know, Penn State has this program for athletic training that you start under kind of a probationary period that, you, you know, you kind of apply to their program. It's really selective. So I transferred in, did really well in all my, in all my courses and my rotations with different teams at Penn State. And um, while we were on assignment, we were, we were rehabbing an athlete, a volleyball player. And uh, I saw the, the athlete like working with this 
which is off-site clinic at Penn State Orthopedics, and saw them working uh, with this other professional and he was doing like cool, like hands-on techniques and stuff. I'm like, oh, that's kind of neat. Like, that guy, like, a, is, he a, is he a physician? Is he a surgeon? Like, what is this guy, athletic trainer? Like, no, it's a physical therapist. I was like, oh, I think I, I kind of want to do that. That's kind of cool. So long story short, I transferred out um, into the general option just for movement science. I didn't, I didn't want to be an athletic trainer. I didn't, like, the more I learned about that lifestyle, I was playing a sport. It's also, like, working because, you know, I grew up in, I wrote home in West Philadelphia. So I had to, like, make some money to, like, you know, live on campus. Um, so I couldn't give up my job. Uh, I didn't want to give up playing rugby for Penn State. And I was like, this is not ultimately what I want to do anyway. So I want to be a PT. So, you know, I transferred into the general option, did my observation hours actually with that, that PT at that clinic who I, you know, kind of inspired me to be a PT and then uh, applied to PT school at Miami and got in. And when I went to Miami and I've, I've told many people the story, like my plan was to live in Miami, to work with athletes and, and, and models and live on South Beach. I was going to do the, the Miami thing. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, I, that's, that's not what I want to do. Like, I mean, I, 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 you know, I wanted to work in like performance sports, uh, you know, like high school and collegiate athlete. Cause I still, I still feel that's kind of an underserved population. Um, but like, and, and I had, I had made some con good connections down there. Um, in fact, actually on my interview down the PT school, I, I, I'm still sort of friends with her now. Uh, this like model, like she was like a legit model, like did like runway fashion. Um, I got connected into her group a little bit down there crazy because i'm like i'm like poor kid from west philadelphia you know um <laughs> but uh yeah like so that, like that's what this is like this is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna you know and then uh we by fate got a guy down to miami by the name of larry kahalen who was uh he's a legend in his own right in in the field especially respiratory you know uh muscle testing and cardiopulmonary rehab uh and he taught our therapeutic physiology course now i love human physiology I, like i literally did a phd in it you know and my other really passion and uh i didn't know if pts did anything really involving that until i, I met him in, in that course and uh along that time i started working as a graduate assistant to me at the university of miami hospital in the icu working with another ccs by the name of patricia Hedrick. So those kind of combined experiences, working with patients, doing some early the early parts of the early mobility, um, like you know, I guess uh, movement, right? Getting patients in the ICU moving um, who are ventilated, and uh, then working and just picking Larry's brain about human physiology and respiratory muscle testing and all kinds of crazy stuff, and then having Meryl Cohen, you know, the first specialist. One of the first three specialists in, in the profession, all three were Cardio Palm, who's our you know, professor uh, for, for many years at Miami. And I, I think that cemented that, hey, this is what I want to do. And it felt like a calling. And so where the passion comes from, though, like I, uh, you know, I not to be braggadocious, but like, you know, for me, I, I don't say things came now. I had to work hard, but like, I never really had a moment in PT school where I felt like, um, let's say overwhelmed in a certain sense with the, with the content. I just loved it. Like it was a lot of work, um, you know, and I just flourished. I did, I did, did awesome. 
you know, and, and, and I just, I took as many electives as I could because I just, I was just a, a sponge for knowledge. We had great professors and great opportunities at Miami too. And then, um, and I found success, you know, um, and, excuse me, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> sorry. <coughs> and, um, thank Bless you, you, thank you. And then, um, you know, I did, I had a, you know, I mean, perfect score in the board exam. And I just, I mean, I, it, we're, we're a passion. Like, I love human movement. I love human physiology. Um, I love the, our, where our profession kind of aligns with those giving people a second chance for things. Because we've all been given second chances. I am no different. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the passion just comes from, like, I... I found something that I really thought was interesting and I was really good at it. And, uh, and that just like, I think that's true for everybody who just like finds success. Like the, the lawyer who becomes like a top lawyer just loves to be a lawyer. Cause, and when you, when you love to, when you love something like you're not, you know, and not just good at it, but you love it, you're no matter what's thrown at you, it's, it's not going to matter because you just love doing it. I could do this. And there were times like I, I did like there some spring break I would be studying and reading, um, and you know I I mean I I don't know if that's a too long winded overly academic explanation, but the passion comes from this profession aligns with my interests what I what I believe in at a very kind of like um, visceral level primal level almost and like I am good at it so yeah yeah. I mean, we can, I was, we can clearly see your passion with it. Um, and there's usually a saying like, follow your passion and the money will come. We've been hearing a lot of talk lately about the decreasing return on investment of yeah. physical therapy. Um, and there was a recent post that I was just telling Alex, I happened to see about if you're making less than six figures as a physical therapist, you're a mediocre physical therapist. Yeah. And, and I know uh, I know who that came from as well too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, it seems like you are not worried about the money. I mean, I run a business, so I do care about the money um, because I have to pay people and I have to make a living. Yeah. Um, but I am also passionate about the profession too because it's something that I wanted to get into, and I, I didn't come into it with the intention of being uh a multimillionaire, but there are avenues because i tell people in physical therapy you have to think outside the box to be able to achieve that and as a new grad um my first job as a physical therapist and a physician owned physical therapy practice i was making six figures so Mm -hmm. i know it's possible um So when you hear people saying that if you're not making six figures, you're a mediocre physical yeah. therapist and that they're telling people don't get into physical therapy because the return mm-hmm. on investment is crap. Mm-hmm. What's your what's your take on that to encourage someone to get into it and not feel like they're going to experience burnout within a year or two? Because it seems yeah. that, like that's the trend lately. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple or a couple of realities of life, one that money isn't everything and you shouldn't do something just because you choose chase money mm-hmm. right like that's a that's a that's a that's a truth however right like what's well, not the only thing it's still a real thing you got to pay bills you got to make money and there's nothing wrong with doing things to like to make more money there's nothing wrong with that right like money makes the 
and while it's not everything it does make the world go round like i'm sorry like i mean like i i can't i can't deny that now and i there's another truth as well and i I've, I've, I've been on the record saying this i just had something in webpt's annual report i was quoted in and was one of the their feature people saying that hey if we do not do things that address the financial sustainability of the profession it will lead to its collapse and there's a lot of things that go into it and like it's it's a it's a it's brass tacks we do not make it more financially um or the return on investment more uh, or better than it is now uh people will stop applying right uh we will further widen the the diversity and underrepresented groups because you know i, I you know I, and i could see because i was one of those groups like grew up in a pretty you know rough rough beginnings but like if i see a profession it's going to cost me you know a hundred and sixty thousand dollars to get into and i'm going to make seventy five thousand dollars like no i'm going to go to medicine it's going to take me longer it's a better roi or i'm going to go to nursing or engineering or do something else and we're seeing this reflected in the application uh numbers they've gone down and that's that's not and that's true across other distance i don't want to just say but if you look at capacity data, the overall number of admissions has, has decreased. Um, and it's because, I mean, it's, kids aren't dumb, right? Like they're, and I think kids, more and more younger children are getting wise um, because they've, they've seen the, the craziness that's happened with student debt over the past 20 years, especially. Mm -hmm. Now, to that point, um, no, so those are all truths. You need to do, you need to be smart, you know, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with picking a, a job because it pays you better because you know maybe that's gonna i don't know everyone's situation and everyone's got to make decisions to make make the most sense for them however this notion that if you make less money you are somehow a, a lesser quality therapist is one of those bogus things it's, it's nonsense um you know and, and i i'm i'm i've seen i i i think i know where these are coming from um you know in what you're referring to because i've seen some of these things too and I, I can't stand it because how does that help anybody you know how does it help anyone because there's people there's countless students right and i get the the, the argument that it's going to motivate people to, to rise above their situation and find different things or is it really going to motivate them to reach out to that person who's claiming to offer you know courses or strategies for them to make xyz money it's probably more that than, than, than the other um but what it also does is it probably makes you know students who've, who've done the right thing who are passionate about the profession like have self-doubt in themselves right and 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 you know i mean it, it, you know it, there was actually it was on the oxford debate and the last one in 2019 and we, our topic was whether social media was hazardous or helpful and i still think it's helpful it's a tool like anything and, and stuff like this doesn't help anybody it's again it's that self-serving um use of social media versus you know selfless service um so yeah there's there's i mean because what i just shared here was truth like hey like these are real problems the debt is getting out of control i think we need to do things that kind of curtail it um money isn't everything but it's an important thing but you notice along that, along sharing all that information, I didn't, I didn't need to put other people down because they aren't making a certain dollar sense. Because I, I, you know, I, I don't know if that's people that you know, a, a, you know, subscribe or attribute someone's 
what they make to their self-worth. And I think that's a really horrible way of looking at human beings, especially someone who grew up with not a lot of money and whose family members don't make a lot of money. And I think they're pretty useful people, um, you know, my loved ones and those in my community where I come from. Um, so maybe that's just where, you know, I have different, different lived experiences, you know, growing up with not a lot of money um, and still feeling that, you know, I, I have self-worth. I don't think I'm a mediocre person or the people that I love and know who don't make a hundred thousand dollars a year are mediocre. They just, that's what they make. You know, I don't think, so I think people who make six figures are necessarily better than other people either. Cause a lot of people who make six figures that, you know, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. A little bit of a, a little bit of a, of a rant there, but yeah, I, I, I see that too. No, I, 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 totally I, 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 I totally get it. Um, if you're not a cash-based therapist, like you're mediocre therapist, which like these are these things have absolutely no relationship, no relationship to each other. It's ridiculous. Um, well, I, I do find a lot of us in the profession um, do rely because I've been guilty of doing that in the past. To do rely on our title as a sense of security. So we do attach like what we do to our sense of self admit, Earlier on in my career, I was one of those people. But as I grew, I've had less attachment to that, knowing that my self-worth as a person does not come from how much money I make or what profession that I'm in or the title that I have. So everyone goes through their stages and I will leave it at that. But I will try to impart the knowledge and experiences that I've had with other people. Um, I wouldn't say it's a dying profession. It's one that's definitely going to be needed as our population ages and people are living longer. And more people are wanting to stay at home and both Alex and I are in the home. And they need to um, be able to have good clinician and if the ones that are retiring or switching professions from physical therapy to something else because i've been seeing a lot of people yeah. going from physical therapy into it or something that they figure is going to be bringing them more money but again as you said it's having more money more joy so we have to find a way to appeal to younger people to get into the profession as well yeah well i think you know all those things are true, right? We've got to find, because like, you know, I, I what I think, you know, um, you know, I mean, I, I personally think like, I mean, it's a systemic problem, right? Like one, mm -hmm. you know, with the, you know, the cost, the entry is needs, we need to do something about it. You know, I, I don't know how much control, you know, APTA or CAPI does. I don't think it's, it's been up for debate um, amongst, you know, different, Alex there. Oh, he's having some technical difficulties. Okay. So we, we, he's gonna come back. Okay. Yeah. But um, yeah, you know there uh, there was there's that, and then there's a reimbursement issue, and or perhaps looking at different models for reimbursement, right, for care. You know, I I don't think we'll ever get to a situation where the vast majority of people are paying cash cash pay. I don't think that's ever going to be a it's not a, it's not a broad solution. Um, you know, the populations that I serve here in, in Chicago, it's not an option. It's just, it's just not it, an option. It's, it's definitely not. And even 
where you grew up, West Philadelphia, um, yeah. even in certain areas here in the inner city, it's not an option. And we will be eliminating a large number of people. And if COVID didn't teach us anything about the health disparity, we are creating a wider gap if we just focus on cash pay and eliminating accepting like Medicaid payments. Um, and I know you're in Chicago, that's the state of Illinois. And mm -hmm. I've heard that the reimbursement for Medicaid there is, is pretty much next to nothing. Yeah, so a lot of companies don't want to accept that. Yeah, it's a sliding scale. Um, so really, it kind of depends on how many, like the number of people that you're seeing on Medicaid. It's there are a lot of, a lot of layers to it, uh, but you're absolutely right. Like, um, it's not, you know, I don't, I don't think it's like not a, I don't think it's a bad option if you can make it work in your community, but you know, I, where we look at where the biggest need is for our services, it's those areas who tend to be on insurance. Um, you know, I do think there was a, there was, a, there was great discussion and there was an adopted motion this year at the house on direct to consumer, um, or direct to employ, employer, sorry, um, PT services. So I think Mike Eisenhart was been a big champion of that in his work. And, and I think that's an area because that, what that does, it, 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 it causes insurance companies to finally have to compete with someone else. Um, because if you can hire a PT, a physician, a PA, you know, nurse, pharmacist directly, you're a large company like a Walmart, a Google, you know, or a, a large employer. And you could basically just, you don't have to pay for health insurance, except for maybe a very minor package for emergencies or surgeries. Um, you can cut out having to pay them. And it forces insurance companies to have to do something a little bit, you know, more because they, they kind of squeeze employee employers, right? On what they charge for plans and they squeeze the employees too in premiums. So, you know, and insurance is tied to your, your place of employment in this country. So I, I think that's a model. Um, and then it, with that, you don't have, as, an, as a healthcare provider, you don't have to deal with, you know, some bureaucrat in an office, it's not even a bureaucrat, like some just person working in an office for an insurance company dictating your care, um, which is, I, I wish more people in the general public were aware of like how much of an influence insurance companies, non-providers have on healthcare provision. It's wild. It, 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 it's, boy, I mean, there's some questions about like, is this even ethical, right? Like how, how, how do we have laws that say, you know, you can't practice without a license, right? Yet we kind of indirectly let that happen at a systemic level, right? You know, I, think I, was just, yeah. I was just gonna make that point because I, I've seen lately on Twitter um, coming more from the MD yep. side of things, but so they're having to- they're having on these peer reviews when these insurance companies are denying care. You know, you've yep. got cancer patients that need medications, can't get it because the, the insurance company says, hey, you have to meet X, Y, and Z before we feel that it's appropriate to, to pay for this. And it's like, well, who's who's the one with the Who's got the license? Yeah. Right? Who's the one at risk here of losing their livelihood? Because as you mentioned, some individual with no medical background, definitely not licensed to be practice medicine, is in essence practicing medicine. Um, and, 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 you know, kind of to your point about, you know, social media, 
these are one of the good things of social media. Like these people need to share these things because you're right. I don't think that, you know, Jimmy Smith and his friends know how their care is being uh, decided. Decided. Exactly. You know, because we, they don't know, you know, historically our patients have always been, I have insurance. I go to my doctor, doctor tells me what to do. I listen to whatever the doctor says. Like that is the, 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 what I would quote as the old way or what our parents and grandparents, how medicine was practiced when they went, they had a problem. They went to their doctor. Their doctor said, you need to do this. And they would just go ahead and do it. Right. So it's almost like we've continued that same, but now instead of listening to the doctor, it's like, the insurance is now almost above the doctor to say, hey, you can't do this. So you need to tell Mr. Smith that we got to go a different route. Mm-hmm. But they're so accustomed to hearing it from the doctor that they've kind of just, you know, disregarded the insurance who's now taken that role as head of head of care, director of care. Yeah. yeah. And that's where, again, where I think the direct to, direct to employer you know, services, I, I think that one, again, like it, it, it frees providers and patients from that rigmarole, um, allows you just to worry about practice, not all the administrative, it allows you to be kind of lean, right? Because if it's yours, you're just paid a salary to treat, you know, X number of patients at this, you know, power plant or fulfillment center or other, other company, you know, um, you don't have to worry about like, you know, all the, you don't have to hire someone to, cause like, that's, that's the other thing, like insurance has created a whole separate profession, right? People, and I, we have the best in, in my, in my opinion, at the faculty practice here in Chicago. Um, but like, you know, there's, I mean, there's, I mean, you look at any clinic, your overhead, right? Salaries, or you look at salary revenue generating staff, non-revenue generating staff, and it's your people who know all the coding authorizations and stuff like healthcare systems, right? Like when you look at the hospital systems, they have to hire, you know, armies of people to do this, just to navigate how crazy the system is. Um, and like, that's all because we, we, yeah, it's just, it's kind of a wild thing to think about. Like healthcare costs has gotten exponentially expensive because we made it exponentially complicated. So it just, it's just kind of wild to think about. Absolutely. It is. And, and, and- and, and one thing too is, and, and I know this firsthand because my mother-in-law is an office manager for a group of pulmonologists here in Tampa. Um, and my wife helps her out part-time with insurance verification. At times I've done it. It is a very tedious job, but it's one, as you just mentioned, that has been created by the insurance companies. And it's because you need you need to have those people because like, there's no way I, I would be able to, I mean, and some people are able to do it, but like, it's, it's insane. It's crazy. And, and having done it, cause like I've sat there and helped her do it. It is, it's mind blowing how many yeah. different insurance plans you have, how many different stipulations each of these insurance plans has and all this work that goes in for the patient to get the care that they need while getting the top level care from the provider yeah. like and none of always, that can and they always try to change things up too it's never the same yeah. thing year over year they always yeah. change something 
And it's for it, a reason. It, they do to make it more complicated. Like the, so they don't have to pay. Like it's wild. No, like, it's, it, it's, wild. Just, it's wild. You know, again, like having this experience and helping her, I'm like, man, like I don't know how people do this. Yeah. This is it's so so convoluted as to what you need, what you can't do. Well, you need this to be able to see the patient, but this one doesn't need that. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. And, and, and it's something that I feel like we can hopefully get some sort of uh, change involved because it, it is only going to make things more difficult um, for people, you know, and especially if you have these, social economic disparities, those are the people that end up losing because now they don't have access to that good insurance, which then dictates the quality care that they can get. Yep. Absolutely. So well, what the social stuff, sorry Alex. No, no, go ahead. Uh so cardiac problems is one of the leading causes of death in the US. And statistics have shown that Usually black and brown people are some of the highest affected. So with you being a cardiopalm guy and having these issues with insurance and having people reject like Medicaid and other stuff that people can't afford, how, how has it affected your practice or your mindset? about providing care for people to be able to live longer who have these cardiopulmonary issues like yeah. education wise how can we help them to be able to have still a good quality of life even yeah. though they're not being seen yeah so i'll, I'll lead leading with this that the non-communicable disease you know issues we face um you know epidemic that we face in the united states are a direct product of the structural inequities um, and structural violence that have existed and persisted for centuries. Um, I mean, it's why we see, you know, inequities. Uh, it's always been, I always thought it was kind of wild that you look at non-modifiable risk factors, right, for cardiovascular disease or cancer, other different things. It was often put like black ethnicity, and it's like it has nothing to do with the race. It's because of how black people are treated um, and disadvantaged in this country. Because it's not the same in other places, um, you know. It's it's what we've done to these these groups in this country. Um, but to your point, like, how do we get out there? Uh, one, I think we need to be more present um, in 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 communities where there are. I mean, I mean, physical act, inactivity being a major, 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 major contributor to non-communicable disease of all kinds, including cardiovascular disease, even certain cancers, but all, all kinds of things. Um, you know, if 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 we, if I, I know people even like will often like kind of mock the USA, USDA guidelines for nutrition, but if people even just ate the recommended, I mean, the number of vegetables and fruits you're supposed to eat, like which the overwhelming majority of people do not in this country. I, I'd say if everyone could do what they had this like life simple eights that now the AHA has for sleep, you know, um, stress, smoking, alcohol intake, activity, all that stuff. You know, we would probably more than half some of the, the prevalence we see and incidence rate we see of these, these non-communicable diseases. I think PTs play a, could play a, a much major role. And that's kind of why we I, I wrote, um, you know, that motion that, you know, our, our, our delegation 
you know, adopted and, and supported and moved at the House of Delegates for hypertension or blood pressure management, um, which spans just not just cardiovascular disease, but also other issues, hypotension, orthostatic issues. But, um, you know, I, I think we as a profession are so uniquely situated because we can not only assess or screen, assess and educate, we can provide those interventions at mass and get paid for it. Right. Like we can see patients, you know, who have all these, we're already seeing them in our clinics, right? Like you're seeing, I mean, I published research on them. I know what we're seeing, even outpatient. Um, but you can prescribe and have a patient come to you to exercise, you know, um, and educate them about nutrition, educate them about sleep quality, um, and how to improve it and different things. Um, so I, I think we play a could play a huge role. Um, it's just really w whether or not we're willing to step into that role that's really been, I think, outlined nicely for us um, and, and really practice at the highest point of our license. Um, because there's a lot of really cool things you can do as a PT, um, and we're getting more and more recognition for different areas of our scope that expand beyond what our you know, traditional roles of PTs of, you know, strictly rehabilitation, but getting more into disease prevention or risk reduction. So... Yeah. Rich, when did, so you, you talked, you spoke earlier about your passion for CardioPoem and, and kind of how that was fostered uh, while you were at the University of Miami. When, when did you, you know, say, hey, we need to focus on vitals? Because, you know, obviously you came up with the hashtag vitals are vital and, and all that stuff through Twitter where you really made the push like, hey, we don't need to be just doing this for your acute care patient. This needs to be happening across the board. Um, most recently, outpatient. I, I was once an outpatient uh, PT. We didn't take blood pressure. It just wasn't something that was commonly done. Um, but obviously, you saw uh, a gap uh, that needed to be filled. But was that something that you had experienced and experienced with a patient or what kind of drove you to say, Hey, I have this passion for cardiopulm. I feel like we really need to do this that we're not doing. Like what yeah. kind of trick is that? Yeah. I mean, I guess one of the blessings and the curse I've always had as a young kid, I have a, a penchant for saying things that need to be said in a very loud way. Um, got me in trouble sometimes, you know, I'm not always, I'm like, he's not wrong. Might be out, he might be out of pocket for, for saying it, but he's not wrong, right? Um, so I, I will say too that you know there's been other people who've looked at this this issue, you know, going back even maybe a few years before I started like coming up with the awareness campaign and um, you know looking at like how often this was happening. But I think it really it, it it's definitely become front and center in our profession since the Vitals Vitals campaign took off seven years ago, right? And it, where it was born out of, I had finished a, a cardiopulmonary residency um, in Wisconsin, in, in the VA. And then I went and did this ortho program at UIC, and I plan to go do PhD and stuff afterwards. And while I'm practicing this ortho residency program, I'm looking at the comorbidities of my patients there and what they're coming in with. Hypertension, diabetes, obesity, physical inactivities, smoking. Some with overt disease, like heart failure, right? Like, or other, you know, or previous history of an M, of a MI. And I'm looking around and, you know, I'm like, these patients look exactly like the patients I saw in the VA, 
but there I just saw them for you know their whether their 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 cardiac or pulmonary condition. And we were always taking vitals, taking them throughout, monitoring responses. And then like, you know, like, well, then I'm in the this ortho clinic and like that I'm like, so what changed here? Nothing should have changed. I should be doing this here too. So and that, that came that became um a project of mine, just you know, while I was in residency talking about, you know, how common this was and the importance of screening and led it to a very catchy, you know, hashtag vitals are vital. Um, and then I think just like people like that messaging resonated in people because more and more people were like saying like, Hey, I, I caught, you know, I saw a patient in the clinic with these blood pressure issues and was able to refer them here. And, um, and it was always from the very beginning that, you know, the plan was to raise awareness, which we did. I think very successfully, and, and I've been very, um, you know, uh, well aided by people who have much bigger followings and platforms than me that took wind of it as well. And you know, a big, big shout out to the prehab guys. So they they shared some stuff earlier on, and Ben Fong and a ton of other people. Um, and that caught wind. And uh, the next thing was okay. Well, now we've raised awareness. Let's find out actually how bad this disparity is. So to that you know, research project, which won the Dorothy Briggs Award, which is kind of also the passion project that of mine during my PhD. And of course we had the different talks and seminars at CSM, the t-shirt sales to raise money. And then, okay, like now we've identified what the problems are in our research, we identified what is, what's, what's leading to this disparity. Cause that's just recognizing something is, is one thing, but knowing why does this happen, right? And it helps you identify the prop, like the source of the problem. So you can then take interventions against it. Um, you know, so through the you know, social media campaign, through our research, we identified the education and just again, awareness of, of this, of the, of the, of why this was important. So then we could develop, developed free resources through our t-shirt sales. So everything was self-funded, never cost the Academy a dime, um, which was kind of great. You know, we, when it was, when it was de facto adopted, you know, the, the thought was that we would be able to use resources from the Academy, but the, always the idea that like it would be was it called net neutral that we would never withdraw money it would be self-funded and it, it has always been so we created those three resources on how to measure blood pressure how to interpret how to calibrate the device how to take blood pressures in different locations how to take it during exercise um and then we pr provided that pub open access uh publication which we've paid for our, on our own dime on the importance of screening it's an ethical duty um, and then giving, you know, more information, education. And then the last arm, which actually kind of aligned with the publication I had in the centennial issue on the next century for PTs, and then it greatly aligned with the motion that we had successfully passed. So there was always this, this vision, okay, hey, this is a problem. You know, not only do I think we need to screen, we need, I think we need getting, we need more into management of blood pressure disorders. And it's, it's been kind of see, cool to see this evolution over these seven years kind of hit on every step that we were hoping to hit on um and i think covid also kind of threw you know gasoline in the fire because people were seeing stuff you know it kind of reinvigorated a lot of interest in cardio because it, it it was everywhere right Co and, and then not only covid having direct impact on you know you know vitals right hemodynamic and pulmonary responses but patients with altered you know, blood pressure and other issues at baseline who got COVID are going to be way worse, right? So, and doing the things we can do to, to protect people um, as best we could be a prior infection, right? To mitigate risk. 
So I, I think you know the combination of those things is really kind of we're we're kind of at a you know a fever pitch in a certain sense where this is really going to take off. I think. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that explains everything, but yeah, that's where it all came from. I remember just looking around like, why are we not doing this here? These are the same exact patients. Um, and then I, you know, on same thing, like, well, if I can see them for a pain diagnosis, right, which I'm seeing them for here, and I, what I'm going to do is going to improve that. And they also have a blood pressure issue. And that's probably going to improve by what I'm doing here, but I can't see them just for their blood pressure issue. I can't just get paid just to improve their blood pressure. Like, even though I'm already doing this, and this is a huge problem in healthcare. Um, so that's kind of where a lot of it was born out of. And hopefully now that motion's passed, that we've had the successful campaign, we're, we're gonna really start leading into this area. Uh, congratulations on the passing of the motion. Well, um, I also don't wanna to take too much credit because once you move a motion, right, it belongs to the house. So everyone in the house says there's a lot of credit. Yes, for, yes, you know, yes. The 90, 97% who didn't vote it, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. But, um, but you, you know, you're gonna have, you're gonna have, you're gonna have those. Um, yeah. So, but we, we appreciate them just as much as we appreciate yeah. those. I, I think there was some, to do their credit, I think there was some people, different language and stuff too that people wanted, but like, yeah, it was over. I mean, the house deserves a lot of credit for passing that motion. Uh, so that's good. But now we had a guest, uh, Daria Aller, uh, mm -hmm. talking about long COVID. So what's the role that you and other cardiopulmonary therapists are gonna be playing with the prevalence of long COVID patients? Yeah, I mean, so the present, I mean, it's kind of a, a mixed bag because we don't even have a clear definition on what long COVID is. And I think we're, we kind of actually moved away from that term. Uh, it's now post acute sequelae of COVID or PASH, which is the, the more, I think, more. Can, can you repeat It's P A S C, post acute sequelae of COVID. Um, okay. That's yeah, the more, because like, and that's got some operationalized definitions, I believe. So, because, you know, one thing too is like we're still not exactly sure of the prevalence some say it's 10 percent, some say it's 30 percent, some say it's 50 i don't think it's 50 percent um it's i think that's that'd be kind of wild to to, to speculate that 50 percent of people who've been infected with anything have you know that'd be kind of wild but we don't know yet because the, the reporting's been tough um but either way it exists right and it exists in very different manifestations there's some patients that will have you know this um, post almost chronic like viral fatigue or chronic fatigue like syndrome variant um which is not only the only variant form of post acute sequelae you can have patients that have like persistent dyspnea or pain or balance or vertigo issues that all would fall under that same umbrella term so i think we obviously have a huge role and i've been i've been kind of like banging on the drums about this from a kid like we're going to see a lot of these patients we need to be, we need to be a, a prepared to to kind of like manage it um and i think we have a huge role because it, it's gonna it's it's gonna be multi-system impairments that we see in these patients and you know that's kind of our our bed and our, our bread and butter as a profession and getting patients you know you know restorative care improving function and I, you know and the other side is like you don't have to be a cardiopulm pt to work on these patients and there aren't enough cardiopulm pts um, you know, that we need, we need more generalist ortho PTs, um, to step up here too, because there's just an infrastructure. Um, it's the same thing about our, our, even our blood pressure, you know, discussion that, Hey, like 
you know, there isn't an existing infrastructure in cardiac rehab for these patients with blood pressure issues, namely hypertension, to be seen. Um, but there's more PT clinics on different corners. Oh, you guys still hear me? Yeah. Yes. Yes, we can see. My headset just died. Um, okay. But yeah, we, we still see, um, you know, these. We, there's more of an existing infrastructure. So, um, you know, I think we have a huge role here. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've been, you know, teaching courses on it um, and publishing the paper coming out just now, um, European Respiratory Review on the role of respiratory muscle um, testing and training in this population. So I think we have a huge role in it. Um, and understanding the, the different variants of, of PASH or long COVID or long haul COVID, depending on your, you know, your, your choice of terminology. So with me practicing home health, I didn't realize how bad health literacy was, was bad. in the US. It's really bad. And that's just from doing uh, home health and in your setting, um, especially cardiopalm. I, I think a lot of the lack of understanding of how to manage or best manage the like congestive heart failure, COPD, has to do with health literacy. So how can we as physical therapists, nurses, occupational therapists, speech language pathologists be better at communicating um, on educating patients to, to do better? To, to get past the their cultural traditions of eating so if I, if I had to, comfort foods and all that stuff. If I, if I could answer that question for you, I'd be a billionaire. Um, but, hey, we, we could work towards it, right? We might be able to give the answer on the Alex and Mo show, and then you know, we can all be billionaires. Yeah. <laughs> there's, um, there, so there's, it's, it's a multi-layered problem because health literacy, I think, um, directly stems, or at least, at least indirectly stems from um, our underlying issues with with science literacy in, in this country and, and general literacy in this country. Um, you know, and then you get into, you know, we're talking about food choices, right, which is a big thing of heart failure management, right, not making sure you don't, we only see heart failure readmissions go up around Easter time or Thanksgiving, um, you know, so um, which stems from cultural traditions with people like to eat, which is hard to change. I mean, like, you know, we, I mean, there's science support this or research to support this, that, you know, what you eat as a kid, even in utero, when your, when your mother is eating while you're developing as a baby, that's what you develop, you know, like uh, affinities for, um, mm. preferences for is food. It's called, it's called prenatal flavor learning. Um, and uh, which may explain some of the you know, differences we see in, in obesity rates and diabetes rates in different parts of the country amongst different ethnic groups. But to, to your point about how do we go about educating, I, I think you know, the community stakeholder approach, like in having people within those communities part of developing the messaging, I think so much of medical communication um, has been top down, right? Like providers communicating to communities or state community stakeholders versus you know, meeting in the middle, right? Because you, you have to make sure your messaging is is modified specific to and, and effective and, 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 and speaks to the values of those community members. And the only way you do that is by bringing them in from the beginning um, and throughout. Um, I mean, the NIH has done this with different community centers or different, I think they do different cancer screening 
and stuff like that for different different things like that. So I think there could be, you know, from a PT perspective, you know, we have immediate courts, but you know, I'd like to see maybe a strategic um, committee or task force of, you know, bringing in community members for different from different regions, right, to to target messaging um, or develop messaging for certain communities. So, because yeah, I, I think. And even even just how we communicate too, I think from from health professions and professional societies focus so much more on statistics versus telling a story, because um, most people don't understand stats probably to to a way that's going to be meaningful to them. But they will understand a story, and they will understand images, they will understand video, um, and they will understand people communicating messages to them that look like them, or at least look like they understand their experiences. Right? Um, it's always wild. People are like, oh, you know. I mean, there's people who make make memes of these memes of how you have the 24 year old, you know, grew up in an affluent suburb, health influencer, telling people just eat broccoli and like work out, you know, once a day for an hour. It's like try telling that to a mother of four kids, single mother, right? Like growing up in West Philadelphia, right? Like yeah, you've got an hour. Everyone's got an hour a day to get this in, and everyone can cook, you know, organic whole grain stuff and it's like oh okay like maybe you need to really have some understanding of who you're really communicating to here right so yeah yeah no absolutely um you know obviously me as a father uh in order for me to work out i definitely don't get an hour you know i'm lucky if i get 30 45 minutes and i have to wake up at 4 35 in the morning to be able to accomplish that you know because once the kids are up it's game over um and then one of the other things you mentioned, which I thought was kind of interesting about the, the eating habits and stuff like that, uh, again, as a father and, and trying to feed uh, a three-year-old and a six-year-old and, and more so now the three-year-old, man, it's hard. Yeah, it is. It, it, it is. It is hard. It's a wild, get... they're wild, oh, wild, wild. Yeah. I appreciate that you gave me something else to pass blame on my mother. <laughs> Whatever she did while she was carrying me, that's what I'm addicted to. Oh, no, don't tell her I told you that. So, <laughs> Oh, she's listening. She's right here. I, I would say mom, mom's still in the building. Mom is still in the <laughs> building. So, um, But, Rich, last thing here before we let you go. What's next, man? Because you're a very motivated individual. You've got a lot of passion. Um, you know, your story growing up, obviously, is a fuel for some of that passion i'm not going to say that's what drives you completely but it definitely factors into your passion um so what's next for you i mean because you you obviously did the phd you're publishing you're doing all these great things um that some may say damn rich slow down you know like give it a chance but i don't i don't see that in you that's not the the impression that i get from you I, you know, what is next? What is your big, scary goal? Like, what do you want to accomplish? I don't think any goal is scary, um, but like, uh, I know what you mean. I'm just, I'm just being, just yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, I, I guess, like I told people now, you know, the, the goal is really what I say, build the empire. Um, and I, I won't reveal too much in specifics of what that entails, but, you know, I've, you know, I've, I felt in some ways kind of, I mean, like I just, I, I just did a PhD and in, in residency and I've been kind of like constrained in some of the things I want to do from a creative standpoint, just by focusing on that um, and trying to get that done in the middle of you know, pandemic and think that would 
interesting thing. They didn't plan. They say like predict the unexpected um, when you're doing a PhD in, in you know a global pandemic that shuts down research for for, for a while, and you then you getting it, and uh, you know a war in on the European continent that happens the day you defend your PhD. Was, these are things that you don't expect, but not that those are done. Um, yeah, you know it's. Uh, I'll have some more time to focus on creative exploits, but yeah, I, I'd say it's build the empire. Um, you know, there's there's different things that I'll be leaning more into, and um, but yeah, I mean, others like you know, like you mentioned, I wouldn't say it's slowing down, but you know, turning some of those creative pursuits into you know, I focus so much on my professional career, um, you know, or in, in in service to the profession that it is time to start like you know buying a house and you know settling down having kids if i decide to do that but you know I, i've got some pretty 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 important things that i think they're going to be coming up on the horizon that i'd like to kind of get accomplished but um but yeah i'd say the overall thing is just to build the empire um that's what i'll be focusing on for the next for life so yeah and we wish we wish you all the best too and i'm sure the passion that you've dedicated to the profession, you will apply to every aspect of your life. Um, Alex always says that having the right partners, spouse is, is critical to, to your ability to thrive as an individual and as a business person. So wishing you all the best with that as well, too. Thanks guys. Thanks guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, man, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. Um, it, it was awesome to, to hear your story and to hear, again, the, the one thing that, that I will take away from, from this time that we spent with you is just your passion, man. And that is, that is, it, it just oozes out of you and it's infectious, man, because it makes other people, you know, want to do something with that kind of heart, um, and, and motivation to do so. So hopefully you know, we've got some people that come away from from this just being as motivated as, as I am to, to follow your journey to to help you however we can, um, because whatever Mo and I can do to help you in, in building that empire, please let us know because we'd be more than happy to to help you out with that. Um, you know, our, as I mentioned before, part of what we want to do here is obviously Mo and I want to grow and we want to take this to different places but we want to bring people with us we want to bring as many people as we can with us so that we can all win because there's definitely enough room on the boat for all of us to to set sail and, and and you know start claiming some stuff so um thank you thank you very much man really appreciate your time uh to all of our followers thank you very much continue to subscribe follow comment and all that good stuff man and uh just hope everybody has a, a good evening uh go cowboys We'll Before I leave, I, I got people are wondering what I'm wearing here. Shout out to my friend uh, Alex Anderson, the Thera Physical Therapy Academy. Um, she's my one of my homies out here in Chicago. She she'd actually be a good person to interview. She's got a great interview. So I mean, yeah, right. share, share that name with us though. Share that name with us. So yeah, yeah, let, let us know. We'll definitely, you know, we we want to get to know as many people as we can in in the PT world and in the healthcare world, and you know, share everybody's story because. Uh, again, if one of us wins, we all got a chance to win. Absolutely. And the more people we can bring, the better. Yeah, absolutely. As I told my buddy Nick Rolnick, 
you know, when one one family the, uh, when when one member of the family eats, we all eat, man. So absolutely, But you make sure you keep making Mama Severin smile because oh, yeah. that photo you posted of her when you got your PhD. Now she was like, it was all worth it. So just keep doing what you're doing, okay? We'll do. All, all right. right. Thanks, guys. Fly, Eagles, fly. Bye. Get out of here, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. Have a good night.